This is the Director's Talk Film Podcast. I'm James Blanco, along with my co-host, writer-director, Daniel Teller. Welcome. Um, today we have an awesome guest. Um, it's kind of funny how I got to connect with this guest. Um, my film, Voicemail, uh, just finished out the film festival circuit, started uh, kind of talking to directors and um, started reaching reaching out. And that's actually how this happened. Got to reach out to um, our director today, uh, Sam Barron. Uh, welcome. Thanks. So nice to be here. We're so happy to have you, Sam. <laughs> uh, thank you for being on this podcast. Uh, you directed the short film, The Orgy. And uh, where can uh, viewers uh, watch that? I was going to say you could Google The Orgy, but actually that's going to take you off down a, a very different internet <laughs> wormhole. So I'm yeah. going to recommend you go to shortoftheweek.com and put the word orgy into there. I think that'll probably be the safest route to get you there. Or frankly, just put it into Google, have yourself a wild time, and whatever you watched, I take full responsibility for it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I'm sure listeners will enjoy doing that, uh, Googling that. Um, again, this film was really fun to watch, and I really loved the characters, the story, and um, you, there was so much depth um, in um, a short amount of time. And, you know, the story was amazing. Again, we're going to be talking about this film, so please go watch it. Um, again, um, I'm probably forgetting the the main character's name, but um, he did such a great job. He, he's called John, um, although he goes by the username I Got Wood in the film uh, because everyone everyone attends the orgy under a sort of anonymous uh, username <laughs> i love that username uh if you could uh sam uh, tell us how you got into writing and directing i mean that's a, a pretty fun thing in itself well who the hell am i i so i'm now 33 years old and when i was 12 for some reason i decided to make a feature film with my friend and we did it. It took three years. And we, we just had like a little $300 camera from, you know, the local whatever shop. Um, and we kind of recruited some equally naive teenage friends and somehow made this thing. And I, I say we made a feature film. I think it came in about 57 minutes. So, you know, I don't think that falls into any official category of length. But it was a pretty mind-blowing experience. And then I was like, okay... I'm bitten by this bug, I want to do this again, but I'm not doing that again in a hurry. So then I scaled back my ambitions for length and up my ambitions for quality and spent my teenage years making short films, which coincided with the birth of YouTube. And so at the very start of YouTube, I don't know if you remember, there was that Saturday Night Live viral video, Lazy Sunday. And me and my best friend made a UK response to that video called Lazy Sunday UK, which kind of hopped on the back of that bandwagon and we were 17 years old and we were suddenly had a, a half a million views on YouTube and I was like, whoa, what the hell? This is crazy, man. And so I carried on doing that and um, just, I just, you know, for the last like 20 years, I've just been making stuff and most of it has been for almost no money just with people who have been around me, whether they've been friends or as I've gotten into the film industry in the last probably eight, nine years uh, in London, you know, people who I can rope in along the way. And um, yeah, and, and the orgy kind of came about because I'd spent 
at that time, probably, yeah, about 16 years or something, making shorts. And as you probably know, with everything you make, you look at it afterwards and you go, well, I like this about it. I don't like this about it and so on. And I was so tired of sending people like five Vimeo links going, hey, watch these five things. And by the way, this one sucks in this way and this one sucks in this way. But all up, all together, maybe they show my potential. I was like, I just want one Vimeo link that shows what I can do. So I sort of, I, I was I was wanting to find a really like kind of, I don't know, like a big high concept short film, you know, something something that could break through and grab people's attention a little bit. Um, but I wanted it to still be a vehicle for honesty and uh, personal filmmaking. I was very inspired by um, the show Fleabag, which had just come out when I was having the idea for it and the way that she was able to kind of translate her soul as a person through all the different layers of um, you know, producers and commissioners and everything. And, and what ended up on screen was so much a reflection of who she was. And I was like, okay, I, I want to do that. What's, what's the, what's the idea that's going to allow me to do that? And it turns out it was a, an Indian man going to an orgy. Um, so I, <laughs> I, um, I basically had been, I, I was taking improv classes in London and in an improv show, you aim in the first three lines to establish who, what, and where, and I was really obsessed with the idea of opening lines of improv shows and just how much, how juicy the opening line could be. And so one day I, I had this idea of an opening line for an improv show, would, which would be, hi, I'm here for the orgy. I thought, wow, that, that really conveys a lot. If that was, you know, the opening line of a short film, I would want to keep watching. And then I thought, what would the second line be? And I thought maybe the second line is, oh, um, you're a bit early. And I thought, oh, immediately that's created a situation, you know, an, an, an uncomfortable thing to be resolved. I thought, okay, this is, this is, I'm onto something here. So I quickly, I was, I was out for a walk and I went and sat in like a Burger King cafe and uh, I had my iPad in my bag and I just quickly, like for 45 minutes, sat there without even buying anything and just sort of wrote and wrote and wrote, just trying to go, what would the next line be? What would the next line be? And, and the whole film is made up of, these scenes between two characters, it's different pairs of two characters, which is like an improv show, basically. So it's me just improvising against myself. And um, most of that, that, that first draft, like if you read it, like heavily resembles the finished film. And yet probably we did 10 more drafts once. I, I sent that first draft to my friend who ended up producing the film. And with her, you know, we worked to sort of bring the love story in earlier and to do more to foreshadow earlier that he's just left his ex-fiance and so to, to kind of bed in the emotional um arcs and and heart of the film I suppose so that it was having those extra layers of depth that the first sort of vomit draft of dialogue doesn't necessarily give you there was there was a lot that was hinted at but I was kind of discovering it as I was going and as you know it's great that's one of the amazing things about rewriting is you get to go back and pretend like it was all deliberate from the start when actually you didn't know anything, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love the, the, the understanding of how you started that with just those lines. Like, you know, this is funny. Like what happens after this? I don't know how many times me and Daniel, when we're doing over stories, we, we kind of think like, I love this line. I love this scenario. That's stuff we've done all the time in our stories. Mm. Yeah, I think so, because because then you get to know that if you were sitting at a film festival or something and this film started playing and 
you were watching it, you wouldn't be able to guess the ending because when you when you when you yourself are faced with the opening line or the opening concept or whatever, you don't know how it's going to end. I didn't know how it was going to end when I sat down in the Burger King. So I was just trying to surprise myself constantly or amuse myself or interest myself or move myself constantly. And so I think that's a good process because you're you're rejecting cliches as you're going along you're going no no I, I think I would have guessed that oh that would be good oh that so I, I always think when I'm writing if I can basically make the whole script be a, a, a curation of oh that would be good ideas then each one I know surprised me when I had it and then you get bored of it and you, as you're making it sure but at least you know that you you yourself wouldn't have rolled your eyes and gone yeah obviously when you see it on the screen as a as a hypothetical fresh viewer right um, talk about um, how after you've written it, how you got it financed, and you know, how did that, you know, take place? Like once you have it done, you're happy with it. How did you go yeah. about making it? Yeah. So, well, I shared it with my friend who was this. Um, she, she, so we, I had been working in a production company in London as like an assistant, and she was working as another assistant at a different company, and we both wanted to make one of these kind of calling card short films or whatever, and. We had both been working in the film industry in London for about five or six years. So we had quite a lot of, I guess, contacts we could draw on. Mostly what that really means is just friends who happen to work at different companies and so on. Um, or, or people we'd met through our jobs who, you know, we could, who we knew well enough to email, let's say. Um, so we kind of worked out, you know, that most of the shorts I'd done at that point had been made for less than a thousand dollars or pounds uh just sort of whatever i'd you know been able to rustle up i'd done one short film a few years earlier which i'd done a kickstarter campaign for and we'd made that for five thousand pounds and that one was 25 minutes long and it was this sort of big ambitious thing in its own way i learned a lot from doing that including the, the fact that that one took 10 minutes before the story really got going which is why i was so obsessed with my next one starting immediately um but uh yeah so once i had the script and i'd sent it to my friend tilly who produced it we you know we kind of we how did we do it we 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 just i i i'm always going what's the way that we can subvert gatekeepers and just find a way to make this ourselves you know so i'm going what's the cheapest way we can do this and still retain the quality and it was it was a good it was actually a really good creative partnership because she i i had my background as like an indie 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 no budget filmmaker so I was always going, we can do it, we can do it, we can do it. And she was going, remember, you said you wanted this to be the one, like, let's not forget to be ambitious here and so on. And part of the ambition was uh, to try and attract really like excellent cast. And so all of the cast ended up being kind of known actors from the UK kind of film and TV comedy world, basically. And we that, that was our first port of call, basically, before we knew how we were going to do it, really. We just thought, let's let's get a really um, impressive and ambitious package together in terms of the people involved. So Tilly was friends with a casting director's assistant. And I always tell young filmmakers this, that our casting director on that film, she's now a super established casting director. She cast the Netflix show Sex Education and loads of other, other cool stuff. But at the time, she was just an assistant to a casting director. So she was in the casting director's office. She had access to all of their contacts and she could email anyone on our behalf. And she wanted to step up to be... So, you know, it was, it was a crew made of assistants, basically, who were all aspiring to something greater. We were all in the gutter looking up at the stars. And that was a great attitude, I think, to have. That was how we kind of roped people in. And it, it brought a great energy to the project that everyone was sort of saying, what's the maximum we can make this from our limited bunch of resources? So 
with her access, we were able to send the script to all these amazing people, including at the very heart of the film is Amit Shah, who plays the lead, who I'd been a, a real fan of for a long time. I think he's absolutely brilliant, amazing. I didn't know him at all as a, you know, personally. And, you know, he read the script. I got an email saying that he was interested. He wanted to have a phone call with me. I was feeling very ill that day, but he said, oh, are you around at 4 p.m.? I was like, yeah, of course I'm around at 4 p.m. I'm like taking as many painkillers as I can, trying to go for a walk to clear my head, you know, and, and we have this phone call and for 45 minutes, my pulse is racing as I'm talking to him, just trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about. And he's going, you know, how do you imagine this visually? And I'm going, ah, trying to, you know, sort of <laughs> come up with some coherent thing. Um, but luckily we really clicked on the phone and, and I think we maybe had another phone call after that. And then, um, and then he said, yes. And he, he, he at that time was not wanting to do any more short films. He was, uh, you know, his career was going really well and he, he didn't, yeah, he didn't sort of need to do it, but I think he recognized something of himself in the character and he saw, you know, he, he saw an opportunity to try something interesting creatively. And I think he was also inspired by the, kind of passion that we all had for it basically so once he said yes that lent the project a little stamp of legitimacy and then the luckily the we, we sent it to Alex Roach next who plays the girl who he meets there and she had gone to school with our casting directors uh you know with his casting director so we were able to send it to her and she read it very quickly and then once she said yes it became a sort of a snowball effect and we were able to get everyone else on board we, we suddenly seemed like a real project and um, and then we had to figure out, oh, shit, like, how are we going to make this thing? Because I, you know, I'd, I'd been imagining, OK, we'll make it with some friends of, of a weekend. And that is sort of how we still ended up doing it. But once we had these real actors coming on board, it was like, OK, we need to look like a vaguely legitimate production. Otherwise, these people are going to walk off after day one. <laughs> So that kind of immediately like doubled our budget because we suddenly realized we needed certain things in place that we wouldn't have otherwise necessarily considered. Um, so we ended up, we made the film for £7,000, which is still not a lot of money, um, you know, all things considered. We, we, we basically got that through. So I'd been saving up for a few years because I wanted to make a film. So I put in half of that money. Uh, my friend Tilly, who produced it, put in a little bit. She got her company to put in a thousand pounds. And we also, um, we got a little bit of money from an organization called Shaw Scripts who back short films as well. And so we, we just, you know, what, once we had the cast on board, basically, we were able to go to Shaw Scripts and go to the producer's company and, and just say to them, look, we're, we're so close. Can you just help us get across the finish line? Um, so would you, so would, yeah. you, would you say that once you got the actors on board, the legitimacy started rolling? Like, hey, we got this team. They want to be a part of it. This is what we need help with. Massively, massively. Yeah. Did you, did you think that that really helped? And I'm sure it did. But do you feel like, hey, now once people are listening, is that what happened? Yeah. A hundred percent. Once the actors came on board, you know, I not only did that help us get the last bit of money that we needed, but also in terms of, you know, crew, HODs, you know, DP and so on. It, it, it just, we were able to say, we're making this comedy short film starring these six, seven, eight people who you, you know, especially in, in the UK, who you recognize and love from all these great comedy shows and movies so all of a sudden, and and it's about an orgy, you know, everyone that, that, that was the thing. 
people loved being involved because everyone got to make jokes like, oh, I'll, I'll see you at the orgy. And, you know, like it was just a sort of a fun, like, you know, vibe. And yeah, having those people involved, you know, we, we, we initially changed the title when we were sending it to the actors originally because um, we were nervous that the agents would read it and go, my client is not doing a film called The Orgy, you know. But actually what we quickly realised was, no, the title is part of it. it. It helps people pay attention. It's like if you write to someone saying, will you be in my short film, it, you know, it's called whatever, some generic thing, people just go, yeah, another short film, whatever. Whereas as soon as you're saying it's called The Orgy and it's got, you know, Amit Shah and Alex Roach and it suddenly starts to feel like, okay, maybe this could really be something. This could, you know, this could actually be good for them rather than them doing you a favor, you know? That's awesome. No, that's, that's a great insight. I mean, I, I love understanding and learning how that all came together. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. Like, did the, did the subject matter of the film ever, you know, hurt your progress? It sounds like it was the opposite of that. Well, you know, we did, when, when we were, like, for, for approaching the cast, for example, I would write everyone a letter. That was one of the things the casting director told me to do. You know, write a letter that, that is your one chance to sort of pitch yourself, you know, because they might not take your call or they might not even bother to read the script, but they'll probably read a one-page letter. So in the letter, I would, I would explain what the film was. I would explain who the character was and so on. But I'd also explain the tone and I'd say you know, yes, this is about an orgy, but we think it's more powerful to leave things up to the audience's imagination. We'll treat the nudity like a monster in a horror film. You know, there are certain sort of, uh, I don't know, phrases and, and um, concepts that could reassure them this wasn't about some sort of male gaze perspective that's about titillation or whatever. It's about, you know, I, I would say, we've all had that feeling when you walk into a party where you don't know anyone or you start a new school or a new job and you feel out of place. I think an orgy is the ultimate version of that. You know, the awkwardness as you try and worm your way in and get to know people and so on and you don't know how to interact and you're worried you're going to put a foot wrong. So I would sort of explain, you know, the 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 depth or meaning behind it and hope that people would connect with that. And then if they would read the script, they would get to see all of the kind of comedy on top of that but know that it was it wasn't just for the sake of the comedy it was also trying to be really about something and i think the film is about people who are struggling to connect and don't you know trying their best to connect in a extreme scenario um and yeah i think people connected with that ultimately well so that was one of the first things i noticed it's like oh this all that other stuff is kind of icing on the cake but really this film is about social interaction with you know people being able to fit in you know that how do you talk to people or approach people in an awkward situation like that's kind of what i first latched on to whenever i watched the film yeah absolutely and i i do think with short films it's important you know to remember that if an audience is going to press play on the vimeo link or sit down and watch it at a film festival or whatever that you really have to value their time. And I, I learned that on the previous film I did, which you know, was 25 minutes long and we didn't get into a single film festival, even though I think the film is good and it was it got Vimeo staff pick and stuff like that, but it's just, it was just, it was long, you know? And, and so I, I really, with this one, wanted to go, okay, can we make this so dense and have it be, you know, 14 minutes that's properly funny, big, you know, comic set pieces and so on, but also underneath everything is are these layers of meaning and character depth and so on. And it takes you on an emotional journey and you can have sort of all of that in a in a compressed running time, I guess. Yeah, I, I really noticed that in the very beginning of the film, just 
immediately when, you know, I'm here for the orgy started really being pulled in. I love the character uh, interaction between all the other actors, you know, the main character and just kind of he's just he, he doesn't know where he's going. Like he's he's going somewhere, but he doesn't really understand, you know, um, what he's doing there. He's he, he thinks he knows what he's doing there. And you learn about the character through other characters. And that's something that I really enjoyed. Um, the other character, I'm butchering the name. I apologize. The yeah, it's probably uh, Gary, who's Gary. sort of mentor slash villain. Yeah, yeah. I I really loved how he kind of was telling the audience, you know, everything about him. Like, hey, you you know, your girlfriend, fiance, and oh, you like this? And you know, the character's like, no, no, I, I like this. I like fencing. You know, I loved how we're learning that through another character. Very interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it like that, but you're totally right. I think that was also me in my first draft in the Burger King learning about the character because I was committed to this idea that every line of dialogue was either going to reveal story or character. And so, you know, with every line, I'm I'm, I'm just trying to put more information into the, you know, uh, into the air of the film so that we create a sense of um, complexity and and a wider world, even though this thing is fundamentally a contained story in a contained location. Um, so, yeah, that that's I'm glad that that landed with you. Oh, yeah, that landed with me pretty big. Um... And actually, you, you do that in your short film as well, because, you know, you, you we, we learn about like what the mum's up to and what the dad's up to in terms of their like their hobbies and the way they spend time and so on. And even the character of the, the wife or the girlfriend who, you know, she doesn't get to speak, but you get a sense of who these people are in the world around them. Uh, that is, is great in terms of, yeah, it, it allows something to be both intimate and um, feel bigger than that, let's say. Let's talk about making it. Let's talk about it. now you yes. you have it. You you know everyone's on board. You you have money to make it. Um, I would love to learn what was it like. How many, what were your shooting days like? Um, think of anything else, Daniel? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I would say the so so. I'm a big believer in like to as much as you possibly can in terms of pre-production. So I, you know, had so many conversations with every single person involved in the run-up to it and that you know whether that's in terms of my dp where we're going over every single shot that we're going to do and we know exactly you know what that's going to be visiting the location multiple times taking photographs where I, me and the producer are sitting in for different characters going okay we're gonna you know we're gonna put them here and here and so so really sort of trying to have no surprises creatively in terms of um what the plan is let's say although of course as i'm sure we'll talk about in a second everything goes up in the once you're making stuff but um and then yeah the same with the actors especially Amit the main actor I would uh, have hours and hours and hours of conversations with him where we would go over every single line of the script and every single moment and he's he loves that kind of preparation so you know he, he would leave me little voice memos or whatever saying I've just been going over the script and I think on page 14 when he says um, I think that should be an uh and this kind of thing. And, and I was like, okay, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Sure, that that that's a slightly different uh, nuance to that. Uh, like that, but that that that's a kind of an extreme example. But that level of attention meant that nothing went uninterrogated, and it meant that we had a real strong shorthand. And and actually, on the days I didn't have to do so much directing in terms of 
whoa, we're wildly off track. How do we, you know, get back onto something? It, it was more just reminding him which scene he just came from or reminding him, hey, don't get ahead of this emotion. Allow it to affect you in this moment or whatever. So it wasn't so much about, uh, yeah, uh, understanding or, or comprehension once we were on set. And I would try to speak to every single member of the cast I think I managed to possibly apart from one member of the cast before the shoot um where you know you just even if it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes on the phone or something just to you know sort of put in their head this is the tone this is how we're going to play the comedy we'll play everything as real you know treat the emotions as real and valid play everything deadpan really listen and just be affected by things you know don't overreach for stuff stuff like that um and then yeah same with you know production design and and so on and and obviously in terms of the shooting schedule so we had three days to shoot the film 15 minutes long and it's very um it was a very very dense shooting schedule i never seem to get luxurious shooting schedules because i make everything so cheaply um but so you know that was a lot with the first ad and with other kind of key people production manager and so on just making sure that we had a plan that everything could run so smoothly and we know, okay, we've allotted, you know, one hour to shoot the scene in the sauna or whatever, or we've got, you know, one hour to shoot the scene upstairs in the corridor before they go down into the final scene, things like that. So, so you just know, okay, that's what we've got. We, you know, we, we can't go over. And again, of course, sometimes you have to make negotiations with yourself during the shoot and you go, "Mm, we haven't quite got it yet. I'm going to give myself 15 more minutes to get those two extra takes or whatever. But ultimately, you know, we, we had a plan that was as good a plan as we could have had given the restrictions and limitations going in. And then the shoot itself. So I actually, I listened to another one of your podcast episodes and I realized, oh, you guys really like to talk about the, uh, the making of it. So I got up the, the call sheets, which I'm going to try and find. Um, from the shoot. Yeah, I think, I think pre-production is so key. We're currently doing that right now in my next short. And you discussing that, like, I think, you know, pre-production is key. My last film, I didn't do as much pre-production as I wish I had. That's why I'm trying to do better. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just curious. You said, you know, you had three days of shooting, but how much pre-production were you really working? You know, I'm just I'm just curious about that. How much pre-production? So, I mean, we, I think we probably, I think I probably wrote the script in like February and I think we were shooting the film in June. We were trying to shoot the film in April, but we just hadn't got it all together in time. So we, you know, put it back. And I'd say probably the month of June, probably four to, four to six weeks was spent in, you know, um, pre-production where certainly I'm thinking about it all of the time. And that's not like everyone, you know, is on board and be doing that as their full-time thing. Far from it. Everyone had day jobs, but you know, it's, it's, um, you know, probably three or four evenings a week, I'm having meetings with different people, whether that's about how we're going to do catering, or how we're going to, you know, just moving pieces of the schedule around or um, meeting with Amit to go over the script, or whatever it might be, just just sort of packing my time as much as I can. And even when I'm not having those meetings, just thinking about it all the time. Um, you know, so yeah, so I just so I got the day one call sheet up. So we st- the first scene we did, I think, was the sauna. Looks like, and we did that, and and the the scene upstairs in the corridor, which is just before they go down into the orgy uh, at the end. We did that on the morning of day one, and I I mean the sauna 
was originally written to be in the garden. Then we, when we found the location, we realized that the house had a sauna. We were like, okay, we've got to use that. That's such a weird location. Um, you know, that who, if I was sitting in that Burger King writing, I never would have gone, oh, let's, let's set the scene in a sauna. What house has a sauna? That's so, you know, bizarre. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny looking back at the course. I actually, I don't remember too much about shooting. I just remember that we weren't allowed more than one light in the sauna. So I hate the lighting in that scene. Cause I just, it was not, you know, and I remember that we just didn't have enough time for any of it. I remember we, I had three shots planned for the scene upstairs in the corridor. We only had time to do one. Um, I wish I had been able to get the camera further into the sauna. It was such a tight space, but so we had to shoot certain shots that, you know, I would have framed slightly differently if I would have had all this sort of time and space in the world. But, um, yeah. And then, and then I guess after lunch, we did the scene in the garden where he meets Gary for the first time. And then we did a crew unit move to the park bench and we waited for the light to go down until we got the perfect evening light. And then, and then we did a shot and then we did a final scene where he goes, he's at the bus stop. He's about to go home at night and that, that got cut from the film. So we shot something on day one that didn't end up in the film. Um, and then, and, and I suppose the, the, you know, the other important thing to say is like just day one, but also day two and day three at lunchtime, we're behind schedule and I'm having a frantic meeting with my first AD going, fuck, what are we going to do? We're going to, we're not going to be able to make the film. And we're going, okay, right, well, let's allow ourselves an extra bit of time in the garden and trust that we can make the unit move to the park faster than we've anticipated because maybe we've factored in X amount of traffic time and maybe we can do that in less time or maybe we can risk losing the light slightly and allow it to be slightly darker than we were hoping for or whatever. So, you know, we're, we're having those kinds of negotiations at lunchtime every day. Um Day two, we're doing oh yeah, we're doing all the stuff in the hallway with him arriving, and then the the hand job sequence in the hallway, and uh, then the and then and then we do the shot uh, where he he first arrives, and he sees Alex Roach's character through the glass doors for the first time, and that was a moment that we added into the script up probably on the fifth draft where we realized okay even though we're not going to meet her until he goes to the sauna, it's so important that we, as soon as we get into the house, we just click into what is his emotional uh, motivation in this place. And he, he it's, it, I always think of that as like the Pixar moment where you get to have a slight push in on his face and he's got these big eyes and you see him watching her and you cut back to him and you see his little smile and then you cut back to her again and she laughs and then he moves on. But, but you just know, okay, we've planted something that's, that's going to come back. We, we, we can invest in that as an audience. I think I noticed um, that I did then, notice that. Yeah. And, and then we were, yeah, we were running late again at lunch, but then that afternoon, I oh, what do, what is that scene? What? Oh yeah. Then, Oh my God. Then we did the big orgy scene after lunch with like 25 naked extras and all of that. That's a question I have, uh, how you got all those people and what that was like, but, that amount of people yeah so i mean lots to talk about that so yeah we we have this big sequence with all these naked orgy people and we, we sort of we spend the whole film hinting at them and then in the final scene you get to properly see this like epic tableau that features them and 
They were made up mostly of just friends, friends of friends, just anyone we knew who was like a couple or who we thought might be potentially open to the idea. We just asked them, will you come and take your clothes off and be in this orgy scene? And a bunch of people said yes. We had a couple in there who they came along with their best friend and the three of them do a little three thing in the back. Um, We had one of my old, old friends with his girlfriend, um, so like the line producer's friend who plays who he plays rugby with, two, two of the rugby players came along, like just the most random collection of people, you know. We also hired a couple of life models, people who do like life modeling for in art classes and things to just, because we were struggling to get people of different age varieties. We were mostly getting people in their late 20s, early 30s, and we just wanted some, you know, it, it to feel like a, a broader spectrum of the world, I guess. Um, but yeah, and so my girlfriend and her mum did the catering that day. And bear in mind, we were shooting first straight after lunch and they didn't realize what we were shooting that day and they decided to make a a hot spicy thai curry and uh, it was the hottest day in july so 25 sweaty bodies in a room gyrating for i don't know two hours having just had a lot of spicy curry it's not the uh, not the sexiest environment, but that was a good thing. Um, it made it very funny and not a sort of you know. I was to be quite candid and honest with you, I was very nervous as a filmmaker, as a director, about doing that sequence because I really did not want anyone to feel uncomfortable. And so I tried to speak to as many people as possible beforehand and just say you know. And I think I think we made a speech beforehand and stuff. You know, if anyone's uncomfortable, please come and speak to me. Come and speak to the first AD. Try and sort of you know make it easy for people to um, not feel trapped in any situation that they don't want to be in everyone had volunteered to be there of their own accord obviously but you still want to go overboard to try and make that okay for people I was particularly concerned for the main actress um Alex who she you know has to come in with one guy kiss him end up kissing another guy and then sort of be you know lost to the melee of bodies and I I just really wanted to make sure that she was not um yeah in any way whatever feeling feeling uncomfortable so you know that was part of the conversations that I had with her initially one you know in pre-production and she was very cavalier about everything and said oh you know I'll kiss anyone I'll do anything whatever but I uh, you know I sensed that there was a kind of a bravado perhaps there and I, I wanted to make sure that um she felt looked after and still you know I, I would say like we, we shot the film in the summer of 2017 and obviously about a year later you know our industry has had to reckon, you know, in a massive way with the whole Me Too movement is obviously fantastic. And that has led to this incredible growth industry of intimacy coordinators and so on. But when we made the film, I'd not heard the term intimacy coordinator before. And I certainly felt the desire for someone who might fulfill that position. But it was almost like, it's this strange thing when we look back at historical time and go, why did, I kind of wanted that. I had that unsettling feeling in my stomach. So why didn't I create that? But it, it, it sort of wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't in the consciousness in the same way. Um, and looking back, or, you know, if I was to ever do scenes like that again, my God, I would want uh, someone in that role just as if you were doing, you know, a fight scene. You wouldn't have no stunt coordinator. But, um, you know, l- luckily... It was all, you know, it was all good. And we, and, and, you know, we, we sort of, everyone was as respectful as possible and we kept the crew, you know, to limited numbers in the room and that kind of thing. But it was, it is a big sequence. I mean, a lot of people had to be in that room. I, I will notice that. 
I will notice that when the, you know, the, the way the film is growing and moving through and we see those scenes, I notice that the idea, even though the name is the orgy, it's not really on them. We see what they're doing, but not really like it's subtle. And I think you did a really good job with that because the focus is our character. We see things around him and we're teased here and there. But again, the story is not about seeing that it's seeing what's he going through. And we're taking that journey with him. And I think you did a great job with that. So I was like, oh, I noticed it. it's not in your face. Well, good. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's in it's in his face. The camera is always in up in his face. And I was, you know, I was inspired by like that film Jackie that was made about um, Jackie Onassis, where the camera is really you know, on her. And there's a shot in the orgy where he walks up to these glass doors and we see naked bodies reflected on the glass as a blur. But we don't you know, with the camera is very much on his face. And that's just a direct rip off of a shot from Jackie where she's looking out the car window and you see all the the supporters lined up along the road in the reflection, but it's it's really just about her and what's going on emotionally for her. And um, uh, yeah, there's a few other films that have done stuff like that, where the camera is so subjectively locked to a character's face and to their inner life rather than to the wider context of the world around them. And I think it does make it impactful in the orgy when you finally get to see that tableau and you, you still you, you don't see so much i mean you see people in the background as blurs and this kind of thing there's 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 only a few people who are foregrounded and still they're carefully positioned like that wonderful scene in austin powers to kind of hide themselves hide their dignity but um it still i think feels like an impactful moment of uh evolution from the visual language that's come before in the film yeah you did that's, a great job very effective like I mean, it, it almost makes you feel like, you know, when I was watching, I felt like I could feel his anxiety through the camera. It's like, man, I just feel this. Yes. Good, good, good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely have, you know, experienced that sort of feeling, you know, many times in my life. And so has Amit, who played him. And, you know, it was, it was one of the things I like about filmmaking is if, if you, if you have the right collaborators, you're not just talking to them about, the practicalities of filmmaking or what lenses are we going to use or whatever you're you're talking about your lives and your insecurities and the things you've experienced and so on you're going well if we're if we all agree that this feeling feels like this what's the best way to show that maybe the best way to show that is to you know have a little push in on him in this moment or to be you know to be locked to his face as he's moving through this space or whatever the, the answers kind of emerge from those honest conversations or confessions yeah um one of the questions I had on the ending of the film, and I loved the way that the film kind of ended and then it's going credits and then we're still visually seeing the interaction with the character as we're ending. Um, I love doing that too. I love that concept. Um, I love that we're seeing him going to fencing. And one yes. of the questions I had was, is he doing these things because he's trying to get out or like socially interact? Obviously that's the orgy, but when we learn from Gary, you know, he does these things and then we go see him do it. The understanding I got and I could be wrong, but was that he's never done it. Is that right? Or no, he had done it and he's just awkward talking. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. I, I honestly don't. I honestly I haven't thought about it that much. I suppose I um, for me, that ending where he goes to the fencing, it's about him. uh following his instinct to a place where he's going to feel like he does belong. And so has he 
done fencing? Has he gone to that fencing class before? Has he, you know, maybe, maybe not. I, I suppose, you know, I um, I know some people plot out every sort of piece of biographical history for their characters and so on. I don't really do that. I, I just go, I don't know, what, what sort of feels right? And in that instance, it did feel right for him to go to the fencing class at the end. And I guess people are free to interpret it however they choose. Maybe, maybe I should know, but I, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think, what, what do I think? I, I think that he's been to other fencing classes in the past. He hasn't been to that one before. And that it, he sort of let it slide as a hobby because he got way too involved in his relationship and probably lost himself a bit in his relationship. And now he's heartbroken and on his own and he's finding himself facing this vacuum of time of in his life of not having enough reliable friendships and hobbies and things of his own outside of his relationship. And so he's going, well, I always used to like fencing. Maybe I should do that again. And he's probably going to a new fencing class for the first time in six years or something like that. That's kind of how I would think about it. But I don't know that that's like objective truth for the, you know, film. I think, I think that's just probably how I look at it. Awesome. I feel better now. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question um, yeah. I would love to know is, um, again, we are, you know, as filmmakers, we, we have different styles in how we shoot equipment and it's not always the camera, you know, that makes the filmmaker it, you know, but we love equipment. We love, you know, I call them toys. Um, what did you shoot on? If you could talk about that. What did we shoot on? I think we shot on an Alexa Mini. Um, and I think we had these old sort of vintage Hawk C-series anamorphic lenses, which were, I think they were made in like the 70s or something. And they were quite warped and distorted because they were old, old, old lenses. And they did, you know, like they were actually crazy because your focal plane would not be like a uniform state. So you'd, you'd, you'd get like the center of the image would like the center of the frame would be sharp in focus, but even like the top of the frame would be slightly out of focus because the glass had just warped over time. So it was really interesting. It, it definitely didn't have um, that kind of clarity that modern lenses would have. And I was attracted to that in making this film because I wanted it to feel you know, we, 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 we have this super anamorphic, uh, super widescreen aspect ratio. I think it's two, three, five to one. And, um, you know, the film sort of feels quite sort of, uh, I guess it feels quite cinematic, even though it's so intimate and um, subjective and, and, and contained in its location and so on. And that was very important to me at the time. I've, I've shot a bunch of stuff since then. And, I've actually opted since then to go for a slightly taller aspect ratio. I like I love the two one aspect ratio, and I've used um, some more modern lenses since then. And I probably it's you know it's, it's everything's different for for each project, isn't it? You, you, I, I think I've come to realize that there's never like the right answer in terms of what aspect ratio should it be, what um, kind of lenses should you use. I guess it's all about what feeling are you going for. And for that film, it was very important to me to have that feeling that those vintage lenses would give and that that cinematic aspect ratio would give. Whereas more recently I've gone, actually, do you know what? I, I like having a little extra headroom because maybe um, it allows you to, you know, to not feel like you're cutting people's foreheads and chins off if you're going in for an extreme close-up or it allows you to, um, you know, to, to, to compose the frame more around a person and less around a, a wider space or something like that. So... 
you know, but 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 it, equally, I I'm really happy with the the choices that we made for the orgy, and um, yeah, I think it's it's all just. I, I, that's why I love making shorts is you just try things at different times. And now I, I always know, okay, if I, if I want that kind of look, I can pull out some vintage lenses and that's what they do. And, you know, you, you, it's the same with them. How in the film we have these long unbroken takes, like the scene in the garden is over two minutes, doesn't cut once. And I'd never really done stuff quite in that way before. I was very attracted to trying that. And some, I think in some scenes it works really well. I think in other scenes I would have shot it slightly differently, you know, going back and it's again it's a really nice like sort of tool or or whatever to have in your back pocket to know okay if you do that it creates it can create a real sense of awkwardness it can create a real sense of being in the moment in an uninterrupted way and so on but maybe what you lose is for example you know in the sauna scene if the sauna had been a bit bigger and i'd been able to get more lights in there and a bit more camera space i would have shot singles on them during their sort of emotionally connected flirting bit because I'd like to get the camera close to the eye line to feel that eye contact more whereas because you're in the two shot them in profile you don't you, you feel a little detached from the emotional connection that's going on there it doesn't it's not like bad it's just you know go, if I had my time again that's what I would do so it's interesting to um to play with these things and sort of see what you take from them I think so after everything what are your lessons learned based on this film? Um, lessons learned based on this film. I guess I think that I, I am really, uh, I think that the, 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 the thing of just beginning a film as quickly as possible, I really take that away with me. And in the stuff I've done since, I'm always going, how can we shrink that opening sequence as much as possible to just get the story rolling? You know, how late can you join the story and still have it make sense? And it was interesting with the orgy, like, I would have thought if I was like, constructing this not from the first line of dialogue but constructing this in the way that i would normally think about a story i'd go okay so we've got to meet this character see who they're like see what they're like and so on and then see them go to an orgy or maybe you even would think okay you got to see them discover about the orgy and then consider going and then debate with themselves maybe you see a scene where they say to their friend i don't know if i should go or not and so on and actually it turned out at least in the short you don't need any of that you can just begin hi i'm here for the orgy and the audience goes wait, what? And you, you know, that that's a moment where they lean in and suddenly you've bought yourself two or three minutes of intrigue where they're wanting to find an answer to a question. And so you can play catch up on that, for example, then seen in the garden as Gary's giving all this biographical information about him that he's learned from internet stalking him, you're going, oh, 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 okay, cool, cool. This, this starts to, you know, retrospectively explain some things. So um, I definitely took that lesson of hook the audience as soon as you possibly can, especially in a short film. My God, I mean, we all know what it's like to, you know, see a short film that takes too long to get going. So that uh, definitely being being ambitious with casting really, really took that lesson. And in the things I've made since, doesn't have to be, about going for like the most famous person. But I think not just sort of accepting whoever you can find and going, you know, just 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 making sure that when you're walking onto the set, you know, I fucking love this person's work, you know? That that is a real um puts a skip in your step. You know, you just you just just like they want to feel like they're in safe hands with you as a filmmaker. You want to feel like you're in safe hands with them as an actor so that if you can get them to the right emotional headspace so that they can be present in the scene and be listening and engaged with their scene partner, you know that whatever they're doing is going to be right. 
Um, so that, and then, yeah, I guess, you know, not being intimidated by a bigger crew or by a more ambitious project or whatever, you know, everything is the same. I think, I think before I made this film, I thought, oh, if I, you know, we, I think we had like a crew of 25 people. And at one point, you know, we had all these extras on set and I thought, oh, am I going to be up to the task of directing all these people and so on? In fact, it's exactly the same as when you're directing a smaller little thing and you're you're still just talking to your DP, talking to your first AD, talking to the main actors, and it's just that on a bigger set, information ripples out from those people and people whisper into radios and tell other people the things that need to be done. But, like, you're still basically a little gang of, you know a small half a dozen people or whatever at the center of it all making something. And it's just that there's infrastructure around you to support you. So I think just having the confidence to know that you are up to the task, as long as, you know, uh, as long as you, yeah, have, have thought about the story, know the character motivations, know what the obstacles are in every scene, you know, have, have your, have the meaning of, of the scenes in the film robustly sort of, clear in your, inside your own head and your own heart and you know how to honestly collaborate uh, you know communicate that to your collaborators I think I think it's it's yeah it's 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 all good um what else I mean yeah but definitely definitely like it's I, I think I take that it's it's worth having a really um engaging concept at the heart of a film I think you know my my early films probably I would be slightly less um I, I I would I would maybe accept a slightly less memorable premise for a film and and I would just go yeah I, I relate to that let's make a film about that or whatever whereas now I sort of go okay I relate to that but is there some metaphor or some way into that concept that just pushes it in a way that it becomes a story I've never seen before rather than something that I have, but, you know, that, that just, I, that I care about. So, um, yeah. And then, and then just, you know, like running time, like the first, you know, cut of the film was 19 minutes and I got it down to 18 and 17 and 16. And then I showed it to my filmmaker friend, I think when it was 15 minutes long or no, when it was 16 minutes long. And I said, you know, and she, and she said, it's great, but I think you can still get the running time down. And I was like, how? It's it's full of these unbroken takes. There's no, there's literally no more frames to cut. And she was like, okay, okay, but just do me a favor. Try, try to cut one more minute out of it. You don't have to show anyone, just for your own, between you and yourself in secret, go back into the editing software and cut one more minute out of the film and watch it. And I was like, fine. So I did that. And obviously that's the cut of the film. She was completely right. And I was completely wrong. <laughs> Yeah, cutting at the end of every film, just cut, cut, cut. I, yeah. Cut, cut, cut. Yeah. So yeah, probably those would be the big ones, I guess. Um, there's probably more. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's awesome insight into your film and how you did everything. I'm taking a lot of takeaways, notes, mental notes of things that you did. I I love all the you know the intro and how you started writing you know the story and the hook. The hook, I yeah. I you yeah. know 100 percent agree that the hook is key. But no, it was a great film. Um, loved the characters, all the story. Thought it was funny, a little bit weird, but really enjoyed it. <laughs> I think that that's that's another thing I learned actually is don't be afraid to get weird. 
you know, and you, you, you do this a bit in your film as well where, you know, the, all the stuff about erectile dysfunction and all this kind of thing. It's, it's, it's great. I love that when, you know, a film is not afraid to balance different tones to go for moments of pathos, but also moments of, you know, comedy and to sort of trust that the audience is going to, you know, move with that tonal dexterity. Um, it, it was um, a little different. It was because of, it was written based on my mother. So my mom talked like that twenty four seven. So I knew it was gonna be awkward, and I knew I felt it, but I did that on purpose, you know. Yeah, 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 definitely. But but it, even as a fresh viewer coming to it, it's just really, you know, it just it just makes you sit up and pay attention because you go, oh, I don't know exactly what this film is gonna be. That's interesting, and then you know you you bring it back nicely at the end, and it has the sort of emotional payoff and everything. So. It's um yeah it's it's just cool I think to dare to be a bit weird sometimes and trust that on a planet of seven billion people other people are going to go yeah I also recognize that that maybe I'm weird too you know no that works so um, I'm going to ask you a question I know it's going to be hard but what are your three favorite films my three favorite films um, well. I suppose I should just say the first ones that come to mind. I mean, the the Squid and the Whale, the Noah Baumbach film, is is always one I I turn to again and again and again. I think it contains like all the answers that I need as a filmmaker. Um, yeah, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is another one, um, and. It's a really tough question. The the other one I always say, but that has nothing to do with this film, is the talented Mr. Ripley. Um, but I, I I feel in in relation to this film, this film was also inspired by a German film called Tony Erdmann. I don't know if you've seen that film. It's th- it's a three hour German comedy, so you know n- not a lot of people uh, <laughs> rushing out to see it at the cinema. But it's uh, so funny, and it and it has this. 10, 15 minute sequence towards the end of the film where all of the main characters are naked in an apartment for just an extended period of time. And that film does not shy away from the nudity, let me tell you. Uh, but it's it's one of the most sort of surprising and inventive uh, comedies I've seen in recent years. And I saw it about a year or two before making this film. and And it also does a lot of long, unbroken takes and there's a bunch that I sort of took from it in terms of uh, the inspiration. Um, and just, yeah, just that, that sort of that tonal balance of comedy and drama and awkwardness and um, yeah. So, so, but God, I mean, I love it. That's great. Yeah. No, three, three, three favorite films. That's, that's a tough one. It that's is. Really I one. do that on purpose, you know, make you think, but no, yeah. that's awesome. Thank you. I'm actually going to go look that up now. Uh, thank you again for being on this. Um, how can people reach you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, you can probably just Google me, Sam Barron, B-A-R-O-N. Um, and I guess I'm on all of the different social media things, Instagram and Twitter and so on. My username is Baronifish, which is not a good username because how on earth do you even, how do you spell that? that so unique. A, a terrible uh Terrible choice there, but um, it's yeah. So my surname Baron, then the letter I, and then the word fish. So it's just you know, I clearly I need a, some sort of branding expert to come in and save me, so that I don't have to spend my whole life making films in a self-financed, independent way. Um, but uh, yeah, that's 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 where you'll find me. Awesome. Well, uh, 
thanks for uh, talking with us and telling about your film. Um, Not at all. What are, you, what are you guys up to next? We are working on a short film um, that we wrote together that's um, called uh, Screaming for Milk. And it's about my son, um, who is five months in the film, and a brand new family couple who is learning to raise their child. So it's a little comedy drama. I'm going to, you know, it's a little bit of a lot of fun. If you have kids, you know, so. That's that's awesome. I don't have kids, but I love that title, Screaming for Milk. That is a great title. That's, that's immediately, it's weird. It gets your attention. And also, I, I love that it's about, yeah, parenting and raising a child. I think that's something that everyone is interested in and can relate to. And I, I really, um, I love I love those stories that boil down to like, very primal human experiences. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it, guys. Thanks. Yeah, we're looking forward to making it. That's what we're doing right now in pre-production. So, yep. Oh, you are. Oh, brilliant. When do you, when do you shoot? Uh, we don't have a shoot June? date yet. We're looking. That's how we were aiming for like June, May, June. Yeah, May, June. Um, again, with day jobs and things, it's hard. But you know, like you said, when we we're talking about the pre-production, we're having the scheduled meeting, discussing, going through the script. Um. And then once we're kind of pretty much ready, um, the target date is around there. But if we're early, let's go make it. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. I'm uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing it. I hope it goes really well. Me too. I have a, more questions <laughs> to ask you later <laughs> offline. But yeah, just, yeah, this is awesome. But um, thank you so much. We'll probably catch you on the next one. Um, again, this is a director's talk film.